If this is your first time with us, or maybe you've, uh, it's been a while since you've been here, you're, you're joining us in a summer series called A Shared Gospel. And um, took a little break from that last week. Austin preached a Father's Day sermon, um, and then we're jumping back into the series uh, this morning. We're going to look at the life of a guy named John Mark. Um, and essentially, just to kind of remind you, the basis for the series is that we're looking at some really close friends and associates, uh, ministry partners, if you will, of the Apostle Paul. Most of us are familiar with the Apostle Paul. He's, he's kind of a big deal in the New Testament, right? He, he accomplished a lot. Most of us uh, realize, man, he, he took the gospel to the Gentiles. He took the gospel to places it had never been. Um, many would say he is responsible for the spread of Christianity, planting churches in, in just unlike anyone in history. And yet, the, the thing that we really want to remind ourselves of in the series is that Paul never did anything on his own. And Paul, Paul never did anything on his own. He didn't travel alone. He didn't, he didn't preach and teach alone. He didn't plant churches by himself. He always had people around him that were helping him do the work that God had called him to do. And sometimes those other people kind of, they get a little left out. They don't get as much publicity. And so the basis of the series is to remind us that the work to which God has called us as the church is not an individual endeavor. It is very much a group endeavor. It's a community endeavor. And, and so learning from some of these characters that are lesser known um, can be very, very helpful. And so today we're going to look at the life of a guy named John Mark. We're going to start in Acts chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts 12. Uh, and then I wanted to just mention a couple things before we dive into uh, the word. Number one is to remind you that starting next Sunday, we are shifting our service times slightly, okay? Slightly. Uh, Austin mentioned this last week. This is an effort to sort of even out our morning services. Um, and, and so it's a, sh it's a slight shift. The nine o'clock will stay the same. The 10.30 service time will bump up to 10.15. You gotta wake up 15 minutes earlier, people. 15 minutes, you can do it. I believe in you, okay? And then the 11.45 will, will, will bump back uh, to 11.30. And again, this is just kind of an effort. We used to do an 11.30. Um, and when we, when we shifted some things, we bumped it closer to the noon time. And that one's always the one that's a little harder to get full. Uh, but uh, we, again, this is just an effort to, uh, to try to even those times out. Um, and you know what? Like everything else around here, if we try this and it's too crazy, too hectic, if it doesn't work, then we'll just change it again. That's just what, the way we roll, right? We'll just change it again. Y'all have always been great about just kind of, you know, being open and, and rolling with us on that. But um, just wanted you to note that. I have a feeling next Sunday, some of you are going to show up late to church. I'm just saying. Some of you are going to be really late next week, Right. If you roll in next week and I'm preaching, you can actually stay for the next service and catch the worship, okay? You can, you're welcome to do that if you want, all right? Just make note of that. The other thing I wanted to mention before we jump in is, um, again, uh, the goal of the series is to remind us really that to, to do the work of ministry and the mission to which God has called us is, it's a group effort. And there's a lot of people here at the Vista, you might say kind of behind the scenes that help us be the church God wants us to be that you may never get to meet, you may never see, you may not even know that they do what they do. And so I, I'm just trying this summer to highlight some different groups and leaders in our church that really help us do what we do. This week, I wanted to highlight our region leaders, region. Region is a ministry that takes place on Monday evenings. It's often referred to as a recovery ministry, and it very much is. It, it, people that have uh, addictions or strongholds of different kinds in their life, it's a ministry to help uh, a redemptive path forward. But I would say it's really more than just recovery. Um, 
any kind of, any kind of struggle, issue, stronghold that you have in your life, that you're having a hard time sort of breaking from those things, man, Regen and, and the, the material and the, and the thing that they do is, it's phenomenal. And they do a great, a great work. And our leaders show up faithfully every single Monday night to help lead and, and to get people in these groups. And it is just, it's a life-giving ministry. And so I just wanted to say how much I appreciate our Regen leaders. If we can give our Regen leaders a hand really quick. Um, Thank you for that. They, uh, they are unbelievable. And, and again, we, we've prayed since day one here that God would bring um, broken, hurting people to the church. And if God's going to do that, which he has, then we need to make sure we have a redemptive path forward for those people. And that's what Regen, that's, that's what Regen is. And so we're grateful for that, for that ministry. So John Mark is, um, man, he's an interesting character in the Bible. Um, he's mentioned in the New Testament about 10 different times. And what I want to do is kind of just walk through some of the places that he is mentioned and just kind of pull from the text what we can learn uh, from his life, all right? Um, we, we know that he was, first of all, he was related to uh, Barnabas. We talked about Barnabas a few weeks ago. Uh, John Mark, I believe, was most likely the nephew of Barnabas. Um, we're going to look at a verse a little bit later where Paul actually, or the, the way it's interpreted, Paul calls him um, his cousin, but that word in the Greek can actually be translated, uh, again, close family member, cousin, nephew, whatever. I think considering the age, there's other uh, speculation. A lot of the stuff I read this week said that Barnabas was most likely the brother of, uh, of John Mark's mom, Mary. And so if someone wanted to like debate or argue or send me an email about, no, he was his cousin, I'm not going to argue with you. You may be right. I think you're wrong, but you may be right. Um, and, and so any, at the end of the day, what we know about him is that he was a, a very close family member of, of Barnabas, who we talked about a few, a few weeks ago. Um, he's probably most popular, most known for uh, writing the second book of our New Testament, the book, the gospel that bears his name, the gospel of Mark. That, that he wrote, uh, most likely um, sort of from, from the eyewitness accounts of Peter. Uh, Mark was a very close associate with, with Peter. Uh, again, many things that I read this week speculated that Peter, most likely, was someone that led John Mark to the Lord, that um, he worked closely with Peter. In fact, in, in 1 Peter 5, verse 13, Peter is writing, and he refers to Mark as my son. Uh, he wasn't his biological father, but they had such a closeness that Peter literally referred to John Mark as my son, much the way we'll see later that Paul does with Timothy, okay? So there was a very close association there. Of course, Barnabas, uh, Paul. Um, so think about it. That's a pretty good resume, right? Like you literally were uh, serving alongside of and with like the biggest names in the New Testament. Barnabas and Peter and Paul. Not a lot of people can put that on their resume, right? And so Barnabas is, I mean, uh, John Mark, man, he, he was a pretty significant, significant figure, and uh, again, he, he's called John at times and then Mark at times. Uh, that's because essentially his Hebrew name was John. His Roman name was Mark. And so what you'll find is that often in the, in the Acts, like we'll see, he'll be referred to as John, but it'll say whose, whose other name or whose surname was, was Mark. And then later, uh, Peter and Paul, they're going to they're gonna call him Mark. And then, of course, he writes his gospel and he puts Mark on, on that. And so um, he, he, goes by, he goes by both. What I really wanted to kind of get at, my first big idea about his life that I just kind of kept coming back to, is that John Mark developed um, a really strong spiritual foundation. John Mark developed a really strong spiritual foundation because of the people that he was around. I mentioned the names of, of some of his associates, 
Um, we also, in, in, in chapter 12, verse 12, we're also um, introduced to his mom, a, a godly lady named Mary. She was most likely a widow, um, but she had some means. And we find that, that John Mark and his mom, they, they opened their home to the early church. And this would have been at some risk in that day and time to open their home to the church to meet there. Um, we were actually first introduced to him during a prayer meeting. They're praying for Peter, okay? So Peter, just to give you a little, I don't have time to read all of chapter 12. Peter and James are arrested by Herod. James is killed. Herod kills uh, James and his plan then is to kill Peter. But it's, it's past, so he's gonna, he's gonna wait through the weekend essentially. He's gonna, he's gonna wait a minute. So he, he throws Peter in prison and his plan is to kill him. Um, in, in verse five, it says, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. I love that. Like Peter's in prison, but it says the church is praying for him. And then if you read the rest of chapter 12, which I would encourage you to do, it's a really cool story of how God sort of supernaturally frees Peter from prison. He sends an angel, an angel shows up, the, 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 the doors to the prisoner are broken open. The angel sort of leads or guides Peter out of prison. It's so supernatural that Peter questions whether it's real. Peter's like, is this like, am I seeing a vision? Am I having a dream? Like he, he, he doesn't even, like cognitively, he's not even sure it's real. And then we pick up in verse 12. It says, when he, that's Peter, realized this, so he realized it was indeed real, that he really was being freed from prison, he went to the house of Mary, and then it tells us the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Isn't that a cool, like, they're, they're gathered together, having a prayer meeting, praying for Peter to be released from prison. And then Peter shows up at the prayer meeting. Like, that's, that's a good prayer meeting right there, right? Like, they're praying, they're like, God our brother Peter and give him strength and, and free. We pray that you would free him in Jesus name and that you would just soup God, make a way for him to, sh you know, and then again, I don't have time to read you the whole thing. It's pretty cool. Like while they're praying for Peter to be released from prison, there's a knock, there's a knock at the gate outside and they just, they're, they're praying like this is important prayer we're doing here. So they send a servant girl to go answer and find out what's going on. And she goes out there and realizes that it's Peter. And she is like, so overjoyed that it's Peter. She's like, wait, we're, we're Peter, we're praying for Peter. That's Peter's, Peter's here. Like it says that she literally um, forgets to unlock the gate and she goes back into the prayer meeting and she's like, hey, the guy we're praying for, he's outside. And it says that they all think she's out of her mind. Okay, <laughs> whatever. We're praying for Peter. You just think we're seeing. It's a really unbelievable story. Like they, uh, they're praying and Jesus answers their prayer in that specific moment. Peter shows up in the prayer meeting. The first time we're introduced to John Mark, it's in the context of his godly mom opening their home for the church under some risk, and they're praying for their dear friend, Peter. John Mark had a really strong spiritual foundation from the church in Jerusalem who poured into him, who met in his home, to his godly mom, to Barnabas, to Peter, to Paul, like the whole deal. And just helped develop in him this really strong spiritual foundation. And this was my first point because I, I can't really overstate to you how important a strong spiritual foundation is in your life. It's really important that we have a strong spiritual foundation. Jesus actually mentions this in Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Um, we don't have time to turn there, but you can, you can jot that down. It's a pretty familiar text where Jesus is wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. And he basically says, everyone who, who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. 
And the rain fell and the flood came and the wind came and it beat against the house, but that house stood strong. And then he says, in contrast, man, those that, those that hear these words of mine and do not do them, uh, man, they're, they're like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind beat against that house and great was its fall. The whole context is the foundation has got to be solid. The foundation's got to be solid. Man, this is, this is really a, a, big, a big deal because, again, we're seeing young people, and I use the term young loosely. <laughs> young can mean a lot of different things, but, but largely in our, in our culture, in our society, in our country, we're seeing younger people walk away from the faith in droves. A lot of churches are plateaued or declining, largely because sort of uh, their house of cards is falling apart. The foundation wasn't great. Put another way, sometimes, you know, we as the church are really good at creating a lot of passion. We create some passionate followers of Jesus. The problem is for a lot of people, they are passionately following a Jesus they don't know very well. The foundation is not built on the rock that is Christ. And so when trials and hardship and pain and different things, or just skepticism and doubt, We've kind of taught, like, you, you're not allowed to question. And then when you do question, you think, well, I just, I have to leave the faith. And so you see the, you see it just kind of completely fall apart. And, and part of the reason, again, is I just, sometimes we don't have the strong foundation that we need. One of the things, that's, that's why the church in part is here, by the way. I don't care whether you are a new believer in Jesus or you've been following Jesus for decades. We need to be working on the foundation. Part of the reason we offer some courses here like Alpha and Apprentice, those are two courses that we offer. We're going to be offering those again in the fall. Both of those courses essentially are all about helping build the foundation. They're about helping build the foundation because the foundation is really, really important. It's really important. John Mark had developed a really strong spiritual foundation. Before he ever does anything, tries to, you know, goes on, a, on his mission, missionary journey, Man, he develops the strong spiritual foundation. The second thing I notice about John Mark is that he learned how to serve. He had learned how to serve. I mentioned that, that, that Mark is mentioned about 10 times in the New Testament. You know, we never see Mark preach a sermon. We never see him preach a sermon. We never see him like lead a Bible study. We never see him perform any miracle. Every time we talk about John Mark, when he's mentioned, it's usually in the helpful assistance of others. He's just the kind of guy that's like, hey, what do you need? What can I do? How can I help? How can I serve? You need me to run an errand? You need me to write something down? You need, what, what do you need me to do? That was, that was Mark. He had learned how to be a servant. Learned how to be a servant. For example, we'll look in uh, chapter 12 down in verse 25. Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service. We looked at that a few weeks ago. Bringing with them John, whose other name was, was Mark. So these two kind of giants of the faith, they're about to start this missionary journey in Acts 13. And they're like, we, we, need, we need John Mark to come with us. There's something about that guy we need on the team. And they bring him, they bring him along. Verse 5 of chapter 13. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. There he is again, just showing up to help. Just showing up to help. John Mark had learned how to serve. And again, if you want to jot it down, Matthew 20, 26 to 28, Jesus talked about the importance of, of service, learning to serve others. In Matthew 20, in those passages, the disciples are arguing about who's greater, who's the best. 
Man, I want prestige. I want status. Jesus, make me your right-hand man. I want to be above all these other people. And Jesus has to sort of set them straight and go, guys, you want to be great in my kingdom? You want to be great in my kingdom? Then you, you better learn to be the least of these. Man, you better learn to be a servant. You, you got to learn how to serve other people. The son of man did not come to be served, but he came to serve. And my followers are going to be lead servants. John Mark had learned how to be, how to be a servant. Well, his life wasn't perfect. John Mark made some mistakes, and we read about that in the, next, in the next section. Verse 13 of chapter 13, it says this. Now, Paul and his companions, so again, that's group, they set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And then it says, John left them and he returned to Jerusalem. John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, you may think that doesn't sound like a big deal. We don't really know why John left them. We don't know why John Mark decided, like, I'm out. Maybe he was just a little young and naive. Maybe it wasn't what he signed up for. Maybe he was a little bit scared. They were going to encounter some resistance and maybe it wasn't what he signed up for. Maybe he was homesick, just missed mama. I don't know. We don't know why he left them, but the context is that he deserted them. He didn't fulfill his ministry obligation. And this really upsets Paul in particular. We read over in a few pages to the right in chapter 15. At the end of chapter 15, we see the context and, and, and how um, troubling this was for the Apostle Paul that he, that he just left them. Here's what it says. Chapter 15, verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. So Paul and Barnabas have planted churches and now Paul wants to go back and just check on all the churches they've helped plant. Verse 37, now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So follow me on this, right? Paul and Barnabas are really good friends. They've been doing ministry together for years at this point. There's a closeness, a bond. They've helped one another out. They've encouraged one another. They've strengthened one another. They're really good friends. And now they, they split. They stop doing ministry together, not because of some theological disagreement, not because of like, you know, a church polity issue or some open-handed church ideology thing or, you know, you know, Paul thinks the music's too loud and Barnabas doesn't. I mean, you can go on and on, right, about uh, I don't like the way the children's ministries, I don't like that, Pat, whatever. No, their break is, is, is over a person. It's over John Mark. They break literally over John Mark. And we said a few weeks ago, Barnabas, man, he's an advocate, right? You remember that? He, he advocated for Saul when nobody else would. Well, now he's advocating for John Mark. He's like, let's give him another chance. Let's bring him along. And Paul's like, I can't trust the guy. I can't trust him, man. Like he bailed on us once. I got a lot of stuff ahead of me. We're going to read later about, man, his second missionary journey. It's a doozy. A lot of beatings, a lot of prison time, a lot of really hard, difficult stuff. And Paul's like, I can't trust John Mark, man. I just can't trust him. I don't want him to go with me. There's a sharp disagreement that arises there, essentially, because John Mark left them. Now, what I really want to show you about this, however, is that this doesn't stay this way. Over time, John Mark and Paul are, are reconciled. There's a reconciliation that takes place. And I love this. 
Because we've said this in our conflict series, like there's going to be conflict, right? We don't always see eye to eye, but again, going to the words of Jesus, Matthew 5, 23 and 24, we see how important reconciliation is in the church with brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, Jesus talks about in that text, like if you're coming to worship and you're bringing your gift and you remember my brother has something against me, he's like, you need to leave your gift. Like, you literally need to leave worship and go try to be reconciled with your brother first. Well, that's essentially plays out here in this, in this relationship. And I really wish, I wish we had text to sort of like show us how that went down. I, I don't know, did, did Mark like try to, try to find Paul? Did Mark send him a letter? Did Mark go tell Barnabas, hey, I really want to talk to him again? Was it Paul? Was Paul the one that came back and went, man, I, I want to I talk with, with John Mark. I don't like the way we left things. I don't know how it played out. But what we find is that there was reconciliation. A few verses to kind of show you this. Over in Colossians chapter 4, Colossians chapter 4, it's a, it's a book, a letter that Paul wrote at the end of Colossians 4, where he's kind of wrapping, uh, wrapping this up in verse 10. He says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Mark, there he is, he says, the cousin or again, nephew of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions, and if he comes to you, welcome him. I can tell you that you don't send somebody with instructions unless you trust him. And this, this was probably written eight to 10 years after Acts 15. So at some point in the years that followed their split, there was reconciliation that happened. And now Paul trusts Mark again. A few pages over in another, another book in Philemon, really short New Testament book. At the end, we see that Mark is literally with him again. In verse 23, it says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark... Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. So again, at some point, these brothers in Christ that had their disagreement, they were reconciled together again. They began to work together again. And Paul has regained trust in Mark. There was reconciliation. Mark learned to practice reconciliation. The next thing I see about Mark that I think is worth mentioning is that after this mistake or failure in his life, Man, Mark kept growing and maturing. Mark kept growing and maturing after the mistake or after the failure. Let's be honest. We, we've all had mistakes and failures in our life, right? Like we've all had areas that, you know, man, I really wish I could have a redo on that one. Man, I really wish I could do that over. Man, I wish I hadn't said that. Ooh, I wish I hadn't pressed send on that email. Anybody else? Yeah. Wish I hadn't posted that on Twitter. Yeah. Wish I hadn't said that to my wife. Wish I hadn't done that to wound my kids. Wish I hadn't made that financial mistake. Anybody else? Yeah, me too. We've all got mistakes. We've all got areas of our life we wish we could redo. And one of the things I love about Mark's life is it reminds us that those mistakes, those failures in our life, they don't have to be final. They don't have to be fatal. They don't have to have the last word on who we are. They don't have to define us. Mark's didn't. Because Mark made the decision that he wasn't just going to give up. Man, he kept growing, he kept maturing. I have no doubt that he learned from his mistake. I've said it before, like your mistakes, those areas of failure in your life, those may be your greatest opportunity for ministry and mission to other people. Don't waste your hurts, don't waste your failures, don't waste your mistakes. Learn from them, grow from them. That's what Mark's life teaches us. So much so, we'll look at one other text in 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9, Paul writes this towards the end of his life. He's writing to his dear friend, Timothy. 
And here's what he says in, in, uh, for, in 2 Timothy, sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9. He says, do your best to come to me soon. He's writing to Timothy. Come to me soon, for Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me. Seems to be a theme in Paul's life. He's gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. And then look what he says. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. I love that, right? The guy that had deserted him, the guy that made the mistake, the guy that had failed him, now Paul's like, he is an indispensable part of what I'm doing. Like, I need that guy. He's unbelievably useful to me, right? And so we just see a guy that, that learns from his mistake. He learns from his failures. And again, I think that's something that we could all learn from Mark. The final point that I wanted to bring up about Mark's life is that, that Mark then got to a place where he himself taught and discipled others. Mark, the guy that was sort of poured into by all these people, what we find at the end of his life is now he is someone that is disciple. He is someone that is pouring into other people, right? And I don't have a verse to go with this. I literally have a whole book of the New Testament, right? The whole gospel of Mark. History tells us that John Mark goes on to become a bishop or a pastor in the early church. He's preaching and teaching and leading others to the Lord. He writes the gospel of Mark, which has been used throughout Christian history to point people to Christ. Countless people have heard about Jesus because John Mark wrote the gospel. He begins to pour into other people. So the way I wanted to close was kind of this big idea, right? Like you see all these different characteristics in, in John Mark's life. And hopefully for us that are believers, we look at all these things and go, yeah, like I, I want that in my life, right? Like I want a strong spiritual foundation. You know, I want to I be someone that learns how to serve other people well. I want to be someone that, that practices reconciliation in my life when, when I feel wounded or hurt. I don't want to just let that thing go. I want to practice reconciliation in a, in a healthy way, right? I want, to, I want to keep growing and maturing after a mistake. I don't want mistakes to be final in my life. I want to learn from those things and grow from those things. I want to, I want to be someone that pours into other people. Hopefully those are all characteristics that we would go, yeah, I, I want that. But here's my question. Did all of that stuff just happen in Mark's life? Was he, was he like born that way? Was he... Was he born with all that stuff? Like what in it in his life sort of fed and nourished all of these really great things that we, that we talk about with Mark? And here's what I would submit to you. They didn't just happen. He wasn't just born that way. I would submit to you that it is the community, the spiritual community around John Mark that helped feed and nourish and grow those things in his life. More so than anybody else we look at this summer, John Mark seems to be somebody that, man, just had an unbelievable, godly, spiritual community around him. From the early church in Jerusalem, countless brothers and sisters in Christ that met in his home, to his godly mother, Mary, who poured into him, to his uncle Barnabas, or cousin, right? To Peter and Paul. Man, he just had unbelievable spiritual community. And, and as I think about all these things in his life, you know, it's like, how do you have a strong spiritual foundation? Well, you don't do that on your own. Like depth in your spiritual life is not about learning more verses and knowing more theology. Knowledge is great. I'm not against knowledge, but I talk to so many people that are like, I just want to go deeper. I want to be more mature and have this depth. And I always want to go like depth in your spiritual life isn't about how much you know, right? That's not, that's not what it's about. Learning how to sacrifice, learning how to serve, learning, learning how to love other people well, that's depth. That's depth. It was his community that allowed him to do that. 
How did he learn how to serve? Where do you think he learned how to serve? Probably his spiritual community as he watched them serve other people, as he practiced serving other people. Couldn't do that on his own. Where do you think he learned reconciliation? My guess is if you're like me, you don't need to be reconciled to yourself because you think you're pretty great already, right? Yeah, I'm fine. Everybody else has a problem, right? No, we learn reconciliation in the church when, you know, we wound, others wound. We have to learn how to practice forgiveness and love one another in difficult seasons. That's where we learn that. We learn it in community. I have no doubt in, in Mark's life, man, when he went back home after leaving him on that missionary journey, the church, his mama, Barnabas, they were, they were all like, no, hey, man, we need, you need to make this right. We need to make this right with Paul. It's not okay. They spurred him on to that. What about keeping going after, after a mistake or a failure? Man, John Mark may have wanted to check out. It was probably others around him that went, nope, we're not letting you check out. Barnabas was probably like, hey, you're coming with me. I don't want to go. You're coming with me. <laughs> you're not done. God's not done with you. Let's go. We need people that can tell us that, right? What about learning to teach and disciple and lead others? Again, you only do that in community. And again, the very mistakes and failures of your life may be what God uses to be a blessing to someone else. And so the whole big picture to me of John Mark's life, all these wonderful characteristics remind me more than anything else that community is absolutely vital for your sanctification. Community is vital for our sanctification, for our growth in godliness. You cannot do it on your own. Can't. We need one another. You'll hear us beat this drum a lot here at the Vista because we believe in it so much. John Mark had people in his life that poured into his life. They taught him how to have the foundation. They built the foundation. They taught him how to, how to you know, be a servant, how to reconcile with others. They, they taught him how to get over mistakes and failures and keep spurring him on. They taught him how to lead and disciple others. John Mark is the product of a vibrant spiritual community. And you and I need that in our lives as well. Who are you surrounding yourself with? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the life of this servant of yours named John Mark. And God, I'm thankful that even his mistakes and failures are sort of laid out there for us in Scripture, that those are not covered up. Um, God, that those are very much a part of, of his life and his story. And, and God, I pray that we could learn from him. God, I pray for these, these characteristics that are in John Mark's life. Um, God, I pray there are things that we would want, but I pray that we would see that the avenue through which we can attain those things, it's, it's not just chance. God, he is the product of a vibrant spiritual community that you placed around him. And so I pray the same for us. God, that we would be a part of a vibrant spiritual community, small groups, Bible studies, godly brothers and sisters that can pour into us and teach us and help shape our lives the way John Mark's community shaped his so God, for those that are here today that do not have that, uh, God, I pray for that for them today. I pray that they would step into, take the step into spiritual community. God, we just pray for your help because I know sometimes for some that takes a lot of courage. I pray that you would surround us with the right people. We pray this today in Jesus' name, amen.